0: All right, M.C. Arlington, what's going on? How you guys doing this morning? We good? All right, do me a favor. If you got a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Um, you got a physical, physical copy of your Bible. and You don't quite know where that is. No shame in the game in using uh, the table of contents. And so we're going to be in Psalm 103 uh, this morning. If you're brand new, welcome. And we're glad that you're here uh, for the first time. Um, and we want to let you know that we're in a series titled um, A Psalm for Everything. And the Psalms are really a genre of scriptures, a beautiful and helpful genre of scripture, where we're actually able to um, hear people who are experiencing life just like us and all the emotions that that entails, and they're processing all of that, all of life, all, emotion, all their emotion in light of an uh, ever-present God, like who he is and what he's done. And, and that's why I love this Psalm. So what I'm going to do here is that I'm simply going to read Psalm 103, the whole chapter out loud. And then we're gonna take a moment or maybe the next 40 minutes or so and just simply walk through uh, this psalm. And I just pray that you are encouraged by this, all right? So let's do this, Psalm 103, here it is. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always shod, nor will he keep his anger forever. Praise God. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of God. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for the fact that you would reveal yourself to us, even when we've disobeyed you even when we have not acknowledged you in the way that we have uh, that that we should that you never stop pursuing us even in the moments we're tempted to ignore you to forget that you are there thank you so much for being ever present thank you so much for being available to us thank you for knowing our frame and remembering that we are dust father we love you help us to sit beneath your word as students today Help us to understand that if your word is open, that you are speaking to us. The God of the universe is speaking to us, and therefore, we should hear your words with rapt attention today, ready to receive whatever you are saying and follow you in faith and obedience. So, Father, we love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say, amen, amen. Amen. All right, y'all, and so listen, I I don't know uh, whoever came up with the idea of the haunted forest, right? I don't know if you've ever been in one. I've been in a few in my life, and I remember uh, back in the day being in one, and it was a haunted forest. I I don't even know why people decided that forest would be haunted and why would clowns be like a symbol of, like, uh, fear or whatever, but I was in a haunted forest like that, like, so it was people with chainsaws and people jumping out at you as you're walking down the path. And it's interesting because everybody there who, who was walking through the um, haunted forest, you knew that the people who were putting this thing on, they were, um, they were hired to do this, right? They can't hurt you, right? They'll be liable if they hurt you. Like um, the chainsaws they didn't have blades in them. But I would laugh at the people who were like genuinely scared of these people, right? They were genuinely scared, jumping behind trees and crying and, and yelling out. Um, but what's interesting about it is, is this. In the moment. Like, those people were experiencing what was happening in front of them, and that gripped their emotions, and it caused them to disbelieve what they knew to be true. Like, in their head, they knew the whole haunted forest was safe, but they're out here screaming and yelling and crying on as if it's not, right? Like, what was in front of them was tempted to disbelieve what they—tempted them to disbelieve what they knew to be true. And so my question for you this morning is, have you ever been there? I'm not talking about there in a the haunted forest, but have you ever been in a place where what was happening in front of you in the moment, circumstances in your life, things that you're going through, or, or people in front of you, right? Those things in front of you were tempting you to disbelieve what uh, you know uh, to be true. And I'll give you an example. Um, in our church, even right now, there, there are people out here that run the gamut of experiences when it comes to Jesus, Right? Uh, Many of us, man, we've been saved our whole lives, and we've been in church, and we can recite uh, uh, all the stuff that we do. You know all the worship songs, right? You know all the stuff. Uh, For some of y'all, you've come to Christ recently. Praise God. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you're learning about the faith. And There's probably some people in the room here that are just trying to figure it out. But for me, I grew up in the church, and um, I I, I grew up um, in in the Christian faith. uh, Let let me warn you uh, a bit if you you are a Christian or, or, or wondering about all of this. If you live the Christian life long enough, there's going to come a time when everything around you and everything in front of you is going to tempt you to disbelieve what you know to be true about God. And I love this because Psalm 103, something like that is happening, and it prepares us um, on what to do when that happens, right? So we don't know the exact circumstance, but in this Psalm, David seems to be in a situation where he's tempted to forget who God is and what God is doing. And so he knows who God is, he knows what God does, and yet what he, he's tempted to not believe it, tempted to not live as if it is true. And so what he does is this, it's something that we all need to do. He preaches a sermon to himself. He's using what he knows to be true to prime his heart. So he's using what he knows to be true to inform uh, his emotions. And let me tell you this morning, in order for you to live life well, in order for you to survive the Christian life, in order for you to make it to the end, to endure to the end, you need to do the same exact thing. But I do want to be careful here because you could be tempted to believe that I'm saying right now that um, Eric is just saying that your emotions don't matter, man. This dude is up here talking about like, as a Christian, I'm a brain on a stick. And like, what, what's your feeling? It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm not saying that. And I'll use a car analogy. For some of you, you view your, you view your emotions like the navigational system in your car right well you may. well these days we well, don't have got navigo- navigational systems in my car you got it on your phone on the dashboard in your car but but hang with you here right um and so like you view them like the navigational system in your car so whatever your emotions tell you to do that's where you go right but some of us if our emotions tell us to take a left down sad lane that's where we're going and we're acting out of that right or some of you will tell you to take a right on anger boulevard and so like you're angry and you're ready to set it off and then that's how we roll and for these people, your emotions are telling you, uh, I'm gonna tell you what your emotions are telling you about a situation are not always right. Right? Like, like these are typically people that follow their guts throughout life, right? So for some of you, emotions are like a navigational system. For some of you, like me, on the opposite end of the stream, your emotions are like the check engine light in your car. Right? If you're like me, some of y'all, maybe y'all are more responsible. The check engine light for me is more of a slight suggestion rather than like, you should actually go get your car shut down, right? And so more often than not, matter of fact, the check engine light is on on in my car right now, and I haven't taken it in, (laughs) right? And so for many of us, that's our emotions, and typically, I don't want to generalize here, but usually men are like this, right? But I think this isn't exclusive to men, but typically men are like this. We tend to think that emotions are things that should be silenced and ignored, and to talk about your emotions... Is somehow feminine um, and um, honestly in that we don't realize that men are just as emotional as women we just tend to hide them and so listen neither one of these things, navigational system or check angelite, light um, are not the proper way to think about our emotions because of this in the Psalms do you know who the most emotional person is in the Psalms it's God it's God look in the Psalms God gets angry God gets greed God has joy And God has actually given um, human beings the capacity to have emotions, right? But we need to think about them in the right way. So listen, emotions aren't a good navigational system. They shouldn't be ignored on the other hand. You see, here's the thing. Emotions are internal states that, listen, hear this, need to be acknowledged and sometimes challenged. Your emotions are internal states that need to be acknowledged. First of all, we actually need to understand and know we got them. And then they also need to sometimes be challenged. Emotions are good, guys. I don't know if you like me. I tell you all all the time. My typical emotions are like angry and hungry. Like, I don't even know what hunger is an emotion, right? But like, listen, y'all, I have to realize emotions are actually good, man. To feel joy, to express that, to feel anger and peace in appropriate situations is actually good. But there are times when your emotional response needs to be challenged. And that's what happens in Psalm 103. So I want to encapsulate this whole sermon in this statement. Here it is. God is truer than your circumstances today. God is truer than your circumstances today. So you need to remind yourself that he never changes. All right? And so take a look at verse 1. David starts, and he says this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so I want to pause, and I want you to see what's happening there. Like, when you look closely at the text, you can see... Um, that David is actually um, talking to himself. He's not crazy, right? He's talking to himself. He says it here. He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? He's commanding his own soul to bless the Lord. So David is illustrating what we should do. He's walking down this path called life, and he's having to remind himself that like when situations pop up and when he's tempted to feel the wrong thing about God, that he needs to respond in the appropriate way. When his soul tempts him to not bless God, he needs to do that anyway because his circumstances will lie to him, right? And so listen, like, even though we don't know the circumstance that David is walking through, if you know David's life in the Bible, he was going through the most. Y'all, like, I I can guarantee you, whatever you're going through, it probably ain't as much as what he was going through, right? And so he experienced death threats, danger, guilt, shame, betrayal in life. And I'm sure in this psalm, David is probably tempted to believe that God has somehow forgotten about him. And I wonder if that's ever been you. I wonder if ever there's been a time in your life where you've been disappointed about how your life is going. Or maybe a hope or a dream that you have has kind of been dashed, right? And in that moment, you're tempted to believe this statement, God has forgotten about me. I don't know if you've been there. I know I've been. And I love how David models what we should do. He's rehearsing the truth that he knows in his head, but his experience is attempting to uh, is tempting him um, to deny. He's reminding himself, "Praise the Lord! Don't forget Him. He's good. He's never changes." He's preaching to himself. And here's the thing: I want to give you something, I want to start off with this one thing um, that David is reminding himself during this sermon, and that you need to remind yourself you need to remind yourself of this too today. You need to remind it. You need to remind yourself of, all of, of who God is and what he's done. And you need to remind yourself that never changes despite your circumstances. So look at verse 2. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed um, like the eagle's. So so I love it. David begins to reflect on the works of God, and he goes through a list of things that God has done, and a list of things that the Lord really has given him as well. And he says, soul, don't forget this. You're tempted to forget all of this. Like, like, listen, God forgives all your iniquities. He heals you. He redeems you. He crowns you. He he satisfies you. What is David doing here? He's preaching to himself. And here's the thing. We tend to come here and we think that the only sermon that you hear each week is a sermon that you hear from the pulpit, right? And so we gather together, rightly so, as the people of God each week in order to hear, the God, hear God's word preached and then go out into the week and respond uh, uh, to it, right? And so this is what we do. Here's the thing. It's easy for us to walk in these doors and to critique the sermons from the pulpit Kind of like it's like an Uber um, trip review. Y'all, y'all know when you're done with the trip and you gotta give five stars, right? Or, or whatever. So we're tempted to listen to the sermon and be like, all right, I'll give that two stars today. <laughs> he talked too fast. <laughs> or um, four stars, right? He, he, he preached my favorite passage, right? And here's a, a brief aside, I'm coming back to this. Uh, for years, I used to think that the sign of a maturing Christian was that you were getting less out of the sermons than you were before. First thing, man, you come into the church and maybe somebody teaches a simple truth for John three sixteen. And, you know, I remember one time that actually happened and I, I went home and hanging out with a friend of mine and I was saying, he was asking me how it was church. I said, it was, it, was, it was good. I don't know how much I got out of the sermon. And I was saying, I think that was maybe for a younger believer. I don't think that was for me. You know, um, I, I probably needed a bit more meat. And I remember my boy said to me something I'll never forget. He said, listen, Eric, I think a mature Christian isn't harder to encourage. A mature Christian is actually easier to encourage. I remember later on, I actually came across this quote by um, an author named Harold Best. He actually put it well. I'll put the quote on the screen because I think it will be helpful for some of us. He said, a mature Christian is easily edified, meaning easily encouraged. He says, wouldn't it be great if those who knew us best could honestly say it is so easy to edify him? It doesn't take much. It doesn't need to be the best sermon ever preached or the most excellent song ever composed or the most powerful book ever written or the most theologically eloquent statement ever uttered. Just the simple truth was enough to refresh his heart in Christ. And I love that statement. And that statement wasn't some kind of Jesus shoot to like get you to like this sermon or not to critique it, right? Uh, because uh, this doesn't put sermons above critiques. There are such things as bad sermons like I've actually preached them before. Uh, don't 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 tell me which one don't know coming to you after service uh but listen i want you to critically listen to whoever comes up here but listen don't critique a sermon based how you feel about it because let me tell you why the truth ain't always palatable if you walk out of here always feeling good about yourself man i'm doing something wrong right because the word of god will sometimes challenge us along with comfort us so listen you should compare truth or sermons not with how you feel you should compare sermons by the word of God. Compare it to the word of God. How closely does it map onto that? But I'm coming back to our neighborhood and to the sermon. But hear me today. I talk about the sermon that, we, that I preach up here every week. But hear me this morning. That's not, the, that's not the only sermon that you hear each week. It's not the only sermon you hear each week. But here's, here's the thing. Every day, you are actually preaching a sermon to yourself. Every single day, what is happening is you are butting up against life, against the experiences of it. You're feeling some kind of way, whether it's the highs of life or the disappointment of it. You're coming against it, and your heart is using that as an occasion to preach a sermon to you, to yourself. And here's the thing. The sermons that we typically preach to ourselves are usually uh, bad. Usually pretty bad. I'll explain, and 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 I'll, and I'll I'll help you understand this, hopefully. Sometimes we go through a week, and we have a hard relationship, and maybe you had a disagreement with somebody. Or or, or maybe the people that you thought would be there for you, they're nowhere to be found. And your heart will use that as an occasion to preach a sermon titled, Nobody Cares About You. I'll give you another. You may experience a death in the family soon or, or maybe a hard time. And that becomes an occasion for where your heart begins preaching a sermon to you, to yourself saying, God, where are you? Maybe God isn't giving you what you want right now. Maybe you want the spouse, or you want a better spouse, or you got a job, but you want a better job, or, or you want better friends, so, and that becomes an occasion. When God is not giving you exactly what you want right now, that becomes an occasion for your heart to preach a sermon titled, well, I guess God doesn't care about me. Or maybe time's at work. Work is hard, or work is just monotonous. Or maybe even time at church, you see the same people week in, week out, and they're talking about the same stuff, and they got the same drama, And you tend to think, yo, like, am I supposed to be here? Maybe it's time to move on. Here's the thing. My desire for you is to begin to critique the sermons that you preach to yourself each week with the same intensity that you critique the sermons that are preached up here. Listen, here's the thing. Satan, he's been preaching the same old tired sermon since the very beginning. So I love preaching this pulpit and preaching the, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the gospel is a prism and, and how we're able to see how the gospel relates to different circumstances in our life. Satan only got one sermon. he has been preaching it since the very beginning of Genesis. So let, let, let's go back real quick. Um, in Genesis 1, um, God creates the world, right? He puts two naked, beautiful human beings in the world and said, enjoy. Like, y'all, y'all have a good time, right? And so he says, like, yo, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He says, make culture, make stuff, and you have everything that you want up in here. Just don't eat from this one tree that I put in the middle of the garden, right? So Genesis 3 comes around, and Satan uses this this occasion to preach a bad sermon to Adam and Eve. What does he preach? I'll summarize it to you. This is a sermon that he preaches to them. God is holding out on you. Satan comes to them in the garden and says, hey, God didn't really say you shouldn't eat it. Matter of fact, God's holding out on you. He knows that, listen, if you eat of that fruit or, eat, or whatever, um, that, 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 that you know the difference between good and evil. Guess what? There's a joy on the other side of that fruit that you should take. That, 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 that God is trying to hold out on you. It's a bad sermon, right? And here's the thing. We've been buying that same sermon ever since. Satan's ploy will always be to use the situations in your life and the emotions that pop up to produce discontentment and distrust with God, right? And, and I love this text because uh, David is inhabiting right? He says, no. Uh, he says, that sermon that's being preached to me is wrong and it's a lie. And this is what David does. He's a discipline that we all should do. He says, I'm going to preach a better sermon to myself. I'm going to preach a better one. A true one, because God has done so much for me. And listen, these are the kind of sermons that we need to rehearse and we need to hear uh, today. Because I'm tempted to to believe on wrong things about God. Even yesterday when I'm prepping this sermon, I had to preach this to my own heart. Things may not be going the way that I want them to right now, but God has given me infinitely more than I deserve in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got to dwell on that. We've been saved by grace. Grace. And I love, honestly, when you look through um, um, Psalm 103, we can walk through and see how the benefits that he described really, really are benefits that the gospel produces um, in us. So I, I love verse two. It says, um, I love, if it says, Who forgives all our iniquities? When you're tempted to live in shame, the gospel declares that he's forgiven you. I love even verse 13. It says, God has been a good father to us, he's willing to forgive. Let me keep moving. When you're tempted to grow angry and bitter because of some illness that you are going through right now, you have to preach to yourself that in the gospel, uh, look at verse 3, the end of that. It says, he heals all of your diseases. I promise y'all, this sermon is going to go a lot faster. Y'all look at me like it's 20 minutes in. He's on verse 3. But I want to spend a couple of moments on this because I think we get confused by this statement, right? And so what does that mean that he heals all your diseases, Right? And Eric, how are you up here preaching the fact that God heals all your diseases and you sitting up here with a cast on? So like, what, what, what does that mean, right? Well, here's the thing. Let me, let me tell you. Your salvation in Christ means this, that sickness in your body will be healed. Here, your salvation ensures that whether he does that right now, whether he does that 10 years from now, or whether you die in that illness and you see him face to face and he heals you then, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? For many people in this room, you may say, Eric, listen, I'm actually waiting on that right now. I'm waiting on that. Like, I've been dealing with uh, debilitating uh, uh, sickness or illness or disability. And I want to encourage you with this. I want you to trust that God can't heal. I want you to trust his infinite power. And here's the thing. Let me give this to you if you're going through it. Don't be afraid to pray big prayers. Man, I know for me, sometimes you can be sitting back and you can temper your prayer life and you can tend to think, man, I don't want to pray this because if God don't provide it for me, I don't want to be disappointed with him. No, like pray um, big prayers. However, know this, that if God doesn't heal you right now, he's not punishing you or the problem isn't with your faith. Hear me, man. One of the things that makes me incredibly angry because I've experienced this and I've seen how people have been crushed under the weight of statements like this. God hasn't healed you because you don't have enough faith, right? When I look at the Bible and I look at Jesus, I don't see that because when Jesus talks in the gospels, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, or like really small faith, He like, I'm willing to work with that, right? Amen. <laughs> and so, and I, love in the, I love in the passage too, that so many people were healed by Jesus in the New Testament before they actually knew who Jesus was. They didn't have faith, and Jesus healed them. Like one instance is in John 5, um, a man by the pool of Bethesda, he was healed, he didn't even know who Jesus was, right? And so all that to say, if you are waiting for healing right now, against everything in you, you have to trust that God knows what he is doing and that he's working something good in your life, even when it's hard. I'll give you one example, and sorry for belaboring this point. I felt the need to emphasize this. But Joni Arison taught She was a woman, uh, uh, um, an um, um, incredible Christian, and also a credible Christian leader. Uh, she was paralyzed at the neck down uh, by, the, uh, um, by the neck down um, in her teenage years in a diving accident. And she says this quote that impacted me. She said, you need not panic or be swept away over your problems and setbacks. Paul says your sufferings are small and short compared with the weight of glory. They are accruing for you in heaven. So bear with heartbreak and hardship a little bit, a little bit longer. These things are expanding your soul's capacity for joy, worship, and service in heaven more than you can begin to imagine. Wait and trust in the Lord. Now she says this line. Your present hope and expectation will not disappoint you. Will not disappoint you. And I love this statement. And I love the fact that we can trust that God, we serve a God who heals all our diseases let's keep moving when you're tempted to preach a sermon about your old ways of life tempted to believe that your old way was better you need to preach to yourself the true sermon That in the gospel what does it say in verse 4 he redeems your life from the pit the pit was where you used to live you don't live there anymore let's keep moving when you're tempted to overvalue um, the rewards of this world the promotions and the jobs and the whips and all of that. You got to remember that in the gospel, you are crowned with God's steadfast love and mercy. And the rewards and honors that he gives are better and you didn't even earn it. It's God's grace. Let's keep moving. When you're tempted to go back to the broken cisterns of work and sets to find satisfaction, you have to preach to yourself that those things don't satisfy you that God does. He satisfies us with his love. How great the love that God has for you. You're tempted to dwell on all that you don't have. You need to remember and remind yourself of what you have in Christ. I love this, that he's done so much from you, for you. And let me talk to the people in the crowd right here who may not be unbelievers in Christ right now, because you may believe that, hey, I'm telling Christians right now to preach to themselves what they know to be true about God, and you're thinking, yo, like, why are you telling me to remind myself of what I know to be true about God, because I don't have that framework, right? Right? like, I don't preach sermons to myself every single day. Like, what are you talking about, Eric? Can I tell you, you do. Every single person that walks on this earth, there is an overriding theme that drives your life, right? And there's something that you preach to yourself every single day. For some of you, the theme is get money, it'll bring happiness. For some of you, it's do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. Many of us have themes that, that, that guide us through life, but let me tell you today, those themes, those sermons that you preach to yourself, they will disappoint you in the end. The only message, the only sermon that, 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 will, uh, that will satisfy you in the end is to receive the preached word of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Our God in heaven has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He came to die for you for your sin, right? All that you've done. He came and he did that. He rose on the third day in power, proving that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and that his sacrifice was acceptable for your sin. And, the, and what satisfies the longest soul is for you to be reunited with God through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We do that by trusting in Jesus for salvation, by repenting and trusting in him as Lord. And so what I would encourage you to do is simply acknowledge him and to trust him for salvation. Let's look at verse six. I love verse six. There's a shift. David begins looking, um, reflecting on his family history, and he says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I I love verse 8 because verse 8, those aren't David's words. That, that, that passage, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He actually got from a situation that happened way before this in Exodus 34. So, Exodus 34 was a period of history with Moses. This, that, those words were formed and expressed first during the time of Moses. So, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, I don't know if you um, heard of the Exodus, uh, people of Israel rescued from Egypt by God. They're in the wilderness, right? They're out here, and God calls Moses up the Mount Sinai in order for God to give Moses his commandments, his special uh, message to help the people of God understand who they are and and what they are called to do, right? And what's crazy is while Moses is on the mountain, the people of Israel are below waiting for him, and they're thinking, man, what happened to Moses? He's taking too long. And in that moment, they're fearful. They're thinking, man, did God lead us out of Egypt in order to leave us? Did God lead Moses, up the, our leader, up the mountain and take him out, and we're out here by ourselves, right? And in that moment, they're at the bottom of this mountain, and they're believing the same old tired sermon that we all tend to believe, right? Like this, this stuff tends to stoke distrust and discontentment in God. And so what did they do at the bottom of the mountain? They went back to what they, that they, to what they knew previously. Instead of waiting for God and worshiping him, they realized that, hey, where we came from, they worship idols. And so that's better than nothing. So we're going to start doing that too. And so what's so interesting about this is that, is that at the very moment that they're below the mountain, stoking distrust and discontentment in God by believing the the wrong sermons, Moses is on top of the mountain. He's hearing the words that we just read. God said to him, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let me tie this together. It's not by accident that David puts those words here. Because it's almost like David is saying this. God, you spoke these words in the middle of a situation where people were tempted to disbelieve and distrust you. I'm in a situation like that right now. I'm tempted to disbelieve and distrust you based off of what I'm seeing. God, help me to believe what is true rather than what I feel. I think this is encouraging, and David actually does this in a way that we all need to do. He encouraged himself with truth by rehearsing the word of God that he already knew. David knew Psalm 34, and so he uses that truth to stoke his heart. I'll give you uh, an example. Stay with me. It may not hit everybody, but I'll explain to you. Some crowds, I don't got to do this, but we have a very multicultural uh, crowd. I might have to understand this to you. I might have to explain this to you. You ever seen a rap battle? Rap battle, right? Rap battle, let me explain it to you. It's two people that stand across from each other, and the person who has the most, creative, uh, the most creative flow wins, right? So one person, he does his thing, and it's all off the top of the head. It's all from memory. Somebody plays a beat. One guy starts rapping for like 18 bars or whatever, and a bar is just a stanza, right? And then they stop, and then the next person goes. Don't know if you've ever seen one on TV or live, but uh, they're, they're pretty fun. But it's sad, when the first person goes and, and their rhymes are amazing, and it's time for the second person to respond, and they can't figure out anything to say, right? They're, they're stuck, they're tongue-tied, there's nothing in their head, they just go blank, right? I say all this to say, and I, I'm, I'll probably see some of you guys taking notes here. Every day of your life, you are being, you are, you are being rapped at. Every single day of your life, you are being preached at. And you, and you are being preached a bad sermon. And if you don't have the word of God had it in your heart, you are just like that dude over here who has nothing back to say, right? And so I know some of y'all are taking notes right now. Y'all are saying like, get bars, <laughs> right? <laughs> I saw somebody back who's like 16 years old, right? You know, it's worse, right? But here's the thing. You have no response to the bad sermons that you are hearing if you don't have God's word in your heart that's explaining what is true about him, Right? And so, one of the things that, that 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 I want to encourage you to do is this: you need to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have the need to have the Word of God in us so that we can respond appropriately to what we're hearing through our, what we're hearing in our souls. But let me tell you this too, and we're almost at the end. One of the reasons why this isn't our reflex to respond to the bad sermons with the Word of God is because sometimes we would rather be distracted and. Then deal with whatever is causing our distrust and discontentment. And, and I'll explain, recently I've been reading a book on social media, right? Um, not on social media, it's a book about social media. And uh, actually Joe gave it to me. And um, I love this book and it's been helpful because social media is actually a good thing, I think it is. Like it helps me keep in contact with people and I get to catch up with some of you guys and family for back home and share with people how my family is doing. And I'm alerted to news in real time. I think sometimes that's helpful. But this book talks about how often we use social media simply as a distraction and how this distraction often entrenches us in in unhelpful thought patterns. And we know this if we think about it. So say you're discontent with your job, right? And you're like, God, I'm struggling with what I'm doing for a living. God, why don't you give me a new job? And you fire up your social media. And you see one of your friends who have this amazing job, like they work at the White House or something, right? And there's are selfie at the White House being like, yo, I love my job. This is amazing. And I know in this room, y'all are thinking, man, yes, I'm really happy for them. But I know, y'all, I know your first impulse is like through gritted teeth to say, man, I hate you. <laughs> or some of us, listen, you may be discontent or struggling. Um, over, I don't know, maybe your relationship status or how your relationship is going or, or, or um, maybe how different relationships are going in your life. And you log on to social media and you see uh, that status change that somebody has. Or you see somebody um, sh- showing off their bling, saying like, Yo, I'm engaged. Or you see the perfect family or the, the perfect friend group at the concert that you didn't get invited to. And in those moments, you're always trying to beat back feelings of discontentment and distrust in God. And let me give you a brief aside. Social media, I believe, is a good thing. But if you're not careful, it could be a tool that your heart grabs onto to reinforce an already existing cycle of discontentment and distrust in God. Right? And so I'll say this, and I'll give you something practical. Maybe we should resolve to have some intentional and periodic fast from social media because that could be good for your soul right these could be intentional times in which you meditate on what on what God's Word is saying rather than what the world is telling you you are social media and the world will always tell you you you're missing something to be complete (laughs) and the gospel of Jesus Christ will always say you have all that you need in Christ we need to rehearse them and for some of y'all you're looking at me like yo I'm good I don't even I don't even use social media good for you but That's not the only way that can reinforce cycles of discontentment and distrust in God, right? So for instance, in a church like ours, community is a great thing. But sometimes community can be an excuse to avoid communion with God. Sometimes we get so much around our friends and people that we're so concerned about what they think about us and not concerned about what the God of the universe thinks about us. And so for you, a period of silence and solitude might be good for your soul. So you can begin viewing yourself not through the lens of the people that you desire to impress, but so that you can begin to view yourself through the lens of the God who made you, right? So let me give you this. What if you, spend, what if you spent as much time in God's word as you did on social media? What might it look like you, practical thing, that I, I just started doing? It's not working yet, but I'm, I'm doing it because it's good. What if you use that little feature on your iPhone that limited the time that you use on social media? And what if you actually gave the code to it to somebody else? Man, I I did it, uh, I've been at it for like a couple of weeks. And uh, the other day, I I was on the couch and uh, my time had ran up, right? So I had gave myself like 15 minutes, right? My time ran up, so my wife's sitting next to me. And I said, hey babe, I was just about to do something. Can you type the code um, in for me to uh, let me in? And my wife is vicious. (laughs) She said, nah, bro, I guess you can wait till tomorrow, right? And I couldn't couldn't even fight that, right? But what if you did that in an additional effort for you to say, listen, I'm going to spend as much time on my social media as I actually do in the word of God, right? Like, what if you intentionally even spent time alone committed to memorizing scripture, specifically passages that give you promises in the areas that you are struggling? Yeah, y'all, we need this. And then this statement isn't to induce guilt, guys. I need to be in God's word more, and I do this for a living. Uh, the problem is this, or, or what, what i was trying to do is this, is to produce hope in you. And, and, and I love this because David used God's word to prime his heart, and now his heart begins to think about everything um, that, uh, the, that these verses mean. He begins to draw connections, right? And so if God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, what does it mean? Verse 9. he doesn't keep his anger forever that these situations that are happening in my life right now it's not because God is mad at me or angry with me he loves me verse 10 he doesn't give me what I deserve verse 11 his love is great verse 12 through 14 his compassion towards us never ends I love it instead of allowing his heart to to reflect on the circumstances in front of him and instead of allowing his heart to allow him to form wrong conclusions about God, he's using God's word to produce true conclusions about God and appropriate emotions about him as well. So all this is to say, listen, when you are tempted to forget who God is, what we need to do is this. We need to reason from God's word. We need to reason from God's word. And you may say, Eric, listen, that, 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 that's more than fine. But isn't that fake? Isn't it fake uh, for me to tell my heart to believe something That is not feeling in the moment And let me tell you this truth And I will keep it real, real short Being real isn't trusting Whatever your desires say Right? There's a lot of real Serial killers out there right? A lot of people just, just, just obey Whatever pops up in them Being real isn't trusting whatever your desires say Because sometimes we have bad desires Your heart sometimes will lie to you Being real is this It's trusting whatever God says and committing to believe it, despite what your heart is telling you in the moment. That's what it it means to be real. That's what it means to be human, right? And the beautiful thing about David is that he doesn't stop here. He doesn't merely preach the word to himself. Him preaching the word to himself and making himself happy because of the word of God, that becomes the launching point for him to begin to declare what he's learned to everybody else. So that's why I love the last three verses of this song. Because David goes from the beginning of the psalm saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. And what does he say in the last three verses? He begins commanding everybody else to bless the Lord. I, 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 I love this. Look at, look at the last three verses. He says, bless the Lord, O you, his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O um, my soul. I love that He's experienced the joy of who God is, and now he can't keep it unto himself. And we need to do the same. When you begin to harbor these truths in your, in your heart and you respond to who God is, what tends to happen is they overflow from your lips and you begin to declare them to others. Let me tell you this, and a am want to come back up. The sermons that you meditate on tend to be the sermons that you preach to other people. So let me ask you this. When you say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits the people who are close to you, what would they say that, that what would they say that is most beneficial to you? What do I mean, So would they say this, that all this person talks about, man, is getting ahead, man, just, just, just getting ahead at work and making more money or being consumed with this or being consumed with that or building relationships or getting married or having the best family and all that, all those things are fine and good. Well, what that tends to do is preach to other people that the highest value of your life, the places that you feel like are most beneficial to your soul are things that are very much temporary and the things of this earth. Would your friends say about you that the things that you found most beneficial are the things that happen here or the fact that there's a God in heaven who's done amazing things for you? And as I close, this whole message has been about the fact that we need to remember God and even as we experience the ups and downs in life. But here's where the hope comes from. The hope comes from the fact that that from not simply us remembering God, it's the fact that he remembers you. You guys probably thought I skipped over verses 14 through 19, but even um, verses 14 through 19, that passage, you can read it. I won't read the whole thing. But these uh, these verses tend to uh, remind us of our frailty. They remind us of who we are. And I especially love verse 14. It says this. It says he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust and this is the beautiful thing about grace God knows everything that you're walking through right now he, he knows the number of hairs in your head he knows that you're not him he knows that you need sleep each night he knows that our bodies break down and crumble and our world tempts us to believe that, that we have this God like status especially when you're young you sometimes when you're young we tend to think that death is always gonna be somebody else's problem and what I've learned is when death is somebody else's problem, Jesus will always be somebody else's savior, right? And so we tend to think that we, that we can expand our limits. Like social media and the internet thinks that we can, we can move beyond space. And um, life hacks have made us believe that we can move beyond time, right? Um, and the sheer fact of this, we're dust, and it's fine to acknowledge that. And the reason why it's fine to acknowledge that is because God knows it. He remembers that we're dust he's gracious. He says to us, you may not measure up, but listen, verse 17 says, my steadfast love is eternal, that I love you as you are, and I'll get you where you need to be. He's a gracious God. He knows your weakness, and he's willing to come to you and give you his strength. Trust in him. Remember him, even in the midst of everything that you'll experience in this world. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we love you. We, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to remember who you are and what you've done. Father, we forget you all the time. And man, like, like that an opening analogy, like things tend to pop out at us, like we're walking through a haunted forest and we're tempted to emotionally feel the thing that's right in front of us rather than, rather than you, the God who made us. So help us to be a people who rehearse truth about you Help us to inform our hearts about that truth despite what we feel in this moment. Help us to remember that the lies that we're tempted to believe are not true in you. I know there are many people in this room right now who may feel like you've forgotten about them, and I pray that they'll rehearse your truth, that you are for them and you're not against them. There may be people in this room right now who may feel like, man, I just feel alone in life. There's nobody with me. Help them to rehearse the truth that there is a friend that is closer to us, and that friend is closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. Help us to, there's so many people in the room who feel like, man, this world is careening out of control, and we're so anxious work about all the things that we see um, with our two eyes in front of us. Help us to remember that there's a God in heaven, and you are sovereign, and it says you are in the heavens, you do what you please. You are in ultimate control. The economy is not sovereign. Our world leaders aren't Sovereign. None of us are sovereign. You are. You are in control and we can trust you. Father, will you help us? Help us to remember when we are tempted to disbelieve. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.